You're listening to the Ask Drone You podcast. You ask, we answer your drone questions. Whether you're here to turn your passion into profit or you simply fly for fun, we're a community of learners and teachers who aspire to achieve greatness. We are Drone You. Hey everyone and welcome to another edition of Drone News brought to you by our good friend the Flying Dutchman and myself also known as Taken Flight. Now before we get into this week's Drone News, as many of you know Drone You is really trying to help all of you. Now while the standards may be high, well that's because being a pilot comes with high standards. But that being said, we like to make sense of things for people and we like to help people. As such, we created a survey that we would like to ask you to answer. And these are all about questions about the drone jobs that you're taking on, your thoughts and feelings regarding remote ID, and your level of satisfaction with the FAA. By providing really good information to us, you can help us actually disseminate that information out to other people. Well, why? Well, because it helps us educate your clients. It helps us really understand where the populist momentum is inside of different verticals in the industry. So I ask you, please take a second to fill out that survey. The link is below in the description. I promise it won't take more than 15 minutes of your time. And think about this, as we all aggregate data together, this can really help all of us make sense of the industry that we're in and help us bring in more drone jobs. So I ask if you'll help me. Anyway, Haya, how are you doing, my friend? I know the news out there and the rumors out there are that, you know, you took a really bad fall off of a moving train. Is that right? <laughs> Not of a moving train, but of a, uh, a moving skateboard. I uh, had one foot on the ground uh, accidentally and one on the board. So I went in a full split and tore off three tendons uh, of my hamstring. So I'll be having surgery on Tuesday, uh, which sucks, but... Not much I can do at this point, so uh, it is what it is, I'm afraid. It is, and I even as I sit here and think about you doing the splits on a skateboard, it just, ugh, just ugh, doesn't even, I can't even speak well about it, you know, it's just awful. I'm sorry, my friend. I, I couldn't speak either for about 15 minutes right after it happened. It, uh, it hurts, and it was pretty bad. Yeah, well, yeah. It, if there was one time to be couch-ridden, it would be right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm which, <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, which brings us uh, to our first story in drone news this week. That's right. As we have said before, it seems like helicopter pilots and drone pilots really need to increase communication as more and more close calls are happening. And even as this particular close call happened right after the rallies in Tulsa, Oklahoma, it seems that the news that covered it, ABC News 8, well, they might be providing a very flawed outlook on who has access to the airspace as they insinuate that it's controlled airspace and no one can fly there. That could not be more wrong ABC 8, and I'm actually quite disappointed because as a news agency, I'm surprised if you don't have a drone team and, and know that yourself. But Haya, for a lot of people who are like, Paul, what are you talking about? Let us know. What's going on here in Tulsa, dude? 
Yeah, this story brings us back to Wednesday when uh, there was a procession from the St. Francis Hospital where like, a whole group of cars and vehicles basically were going uh, down this road. And there's a police helicopter flying very low overhead. But then there's also an Inspire drone, at least it seems to be an Inspire by the looks of it, basically coming in towards where the helicopter is. And they get so close to each other that at one point you can see the drone actually being pushed down uh, pretty dramatically by the prop rush from the uh, police helicopter. Based on the footage, it seems that the police helicopter pilot might actually have seen the drone because he seems to be fearing off towards the right. There's not a lot of information. The video itself was captured by a bystander by the name of Sean Thornburg. He just happened to be recording the procession and then moved his camera up to where the helicopter was and he saw the drone. And it's one of the closest calls we've seen. I mean, there's been two other cases where we've seen really close calls. One was... Uh, close to Miami on the beach where this helicopter came out of nowhere and basically flies right underneath uh, a drone. And there was another one also uh, at Niagara Falls about a year ago, I think. But this is the third video where we see how close a drone and a helicopter uh, can get. And luckily this is a near collision, nothing happens, but a little closer and it would have been a collision for sure. Like I said, it seems to be an uh, Inspire drone just by the looks of it. We don't know if it's an Inspire 1 or 2. There's no information there, really. Of course, what's important is that as a drone pilot, when you're flying an unmanned aircraft, you have to give way to any form of manned aviation. In this case, the police helicopter was flying very, very low, well below 500 feet, which, of course, is always a dangerous situation to be in for any helicopter. We don't know why they didn't see each other and why they ended up being so close in the airspace, but it was a very dangerous situation that luckily has ended well so fingers crossed <laughs> grateful that it ended well uh as well Haya. and also goes to show there may be an opportunity here for drone pilots to add strobes to their drones so there's absolutely no excuse for mm. the helicopter pilot to see them because i agree with you Haya, that while drone pilots are legally required to yield to manned aircraft it makes you wonder when a manned aircraft is now acting carelessly and recklessly. It really makes you wonder who's at fault here. And I'm happy to see that humility prevailed, happy to see that nothing happened here. Because as we have learned from other investigations with drones and helicopters, if the drone is flying legally and does yield to the manned aircraft, but the helicopter agitates or becomes aggressive with the drone, it is now the helicopter who is at fault and who could lose their license. We've already seen examples of that from various investigations. And in fact, Haya, this brings me to my next piece of news, which I forgot to mention to you, so I apologize. But uh, recently, the NTSB released reports about do you remember that story in L.A. where a helicopter yeah. said that it actually had hit a drone? Well, after the reports had come back and the investigation had come back, it looked like there was a material transfer of polycarbonate that was actually um, that is consistent with the size and shape of a drone. In addition, there were puncture marks on the helicopter itself. And the size of those puncture marks were consistent with the motor rods that you would see at a phantom-sized drone. That wow. being said, the NTSB is concluding that it is indeed plausible that a drone did hit this helicopter, but they did not showcase whether the drone was flying illegally or not, as, well, they couldn't find the drone. That story happened uh, at nighttime, wasn't it? over LA. I can't remember to be honest I with you. So. I want to say it was like civil twilight, 
but I do not yeah. remember. And I don't have the story in front of me because I already have it half written on the site and I haven't published it yet. So, <laughs> I mean, there has been what a, a collision between a police drone and a police helicopter in Canada. We've had the uh, Black Hawk helicopter off of Staten Island here in New York that collided with a Phantom. I mean, there's been a number of, of situations where helicopters and drones either collided or were way too close in the same airspace for a safe situation. I think what you pointed out earlier about putting a, a strobe on your drone, I think it's very smart. I mean, that might also be required, I think. Uh, it would be a smart move to do so, at least, because for one, your drone will be much more visible for anybody else in the airspace, but also flying the drone yourself you would have a much better sense of where your drone actually is. So having a strobe on your drone, even though it's not a requirement in all circumstances, I think it would be a smart idea to do. Yeah, no, it makes you actually wonder if you had a strobe during daylight, would that increase the visual distance that you could see the drone, thus increasing the very vague visual line of sight requirements from the FAA. Now, to clarify for drone pilots out there, if you are flying at civil twilight, yeah, you need a strobe. Uh, it's not just for night flying, and it's not just for those people that have nighttime waivers. If you are flying uh, during civil twilight, make sure to have that strobe on. But Haya, um, very, very interesting piece of drone news. It also goes to show maybe the FCC should reconsider those radio rules so that drone pilots could get on the radio right there and let the helicopter pilot know we are yielding, we're getting out of the way. Because as we know in many different relationships, even personal ones, that communication is key. Moving on to our next piece of drone news. <laughs> it looks like Mexico has once again showcased that it is a more developed country than the United States as it allows for delivery of PPE. Haya, what do you have? Yeah, I mean, if there's one silver lining with the whole coronavirus pandemic, it's that uh, drones are being pushed to the foreground. And it turns out that one of the most effective ways in which we can use drones is to make urgent deliveries to remote areas by delivering products with a drone. This is exactly what's happening in Mexico, where they are delivering uh, antibacterial gel, face masks, gloves, three deprinted face shields and other medical supplies by drone to nearby hospitals. And this is being done by uh, Synchronia Logistica, which is a logistical company. I'm not exactly sure about the drone flying rules in Mexico. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if they're more lenient than they are here in the United States. But in this case, they're using drones and they're using either a Matrice 200 or 210 with uh, almost like side pouches attached to the landing gear to fly these supplies. So a very simple and practical solution. This doesn't require a new type of drone. I mean, there's, there's no real rocket science involved here other than uh, your ability to fly a Matrice drone and safety and having these pouches mounted on the drone that will help you to uh, to make these deliveries. Uh, we know from uh, Zipline, uh, the fixed wing drone delivery company that's mostly active in Africa, but also here in the US, how um, with drones, how much more efficient and faster you can get urgent medical supplies to where they are needed. So to see this kind of taking hold and then seeing this being used in other countries as well as here in the U.S., I think is a great thing. And I hope that, um, let's say, at least in the U.S., that the FDA will think about, okay, how can we make this easier for companies to do? How can we allow people to actually make deliveries by drone? We know that under certain circumstances, you can already do it with your part 107, but I think the real benefit comes when you can actually 
actually make deliveries to many different locations, including customers or people in need. And for that, we would need the FEA to change their rules and make them more accessible. This is the latest example here in Mexico. I think it's a great story. And yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing more drones being used to make deliveries of medical supplies in the in the near future. Yeah, it should be interesting. But uh, that brings us into our next piece of drone news, which Haya and I may just flow from story to story. So bear with us. But Haya, I'm intrigued with all the news stories that you sent over. What's, uh, what's new on the street here? The Mount Everest, officially first summited by Edmund Hillary and Tenzing Norgay in 1953. However, long before those guys made their way to the top of the Mount Everest, there was another crew consisting of George Lee Mallory and Andrew Sandy Irvine. Now, Mallory has been found, I think it was back in 1999. However, Irvine has never been found on the mountain. And the National Geographic is now working on a documentary. Uh, it's called Lost on Average to see if they can retrace the route that those guys uh, climbed uh, Mount Everest and see if potentially and maybe they're able to locate uh, the remains of Andrew Irvine. Now, of course, this is a long shot. I mean, with all the snowfall bodies that uh, are on Mount Everest typically are buried in layers and layers of snow, and then they would make their way down the mountain as glaciers move their way down slowly. So it might take decades before they surface at the bottom of a glacier. This expedition with Mallory and Irvine took place in 1924. So that's almost 100 years ago. The reason why we're talking about this story is uh, that some of the footage that is used in this National Geographic documentary is, of course, drone footage. And with drones, you get those amazing aerial perspectives. You get to see the mountain in ways that normally you wouldn't be able to. And they're trying to retrace the expedition from an aerial perspective. I think it's great. I think it's uh, it's a very cool application. And of course, for a DJI Mavic 2 drone to be able to fly at those altitudes is pretty impressive. I mean, they had to drone up at 28,300 feet, which I think is only... 700 feet shy of the top of the actual Mount Everest. So the fact that they're able to fly a drone in such thin air conditions is pretty impressive. I think uh, in this case, I believe that the uh, DJI drones are limited, so you wouldn't be able to take off at those altitudes. I think they probably modified the drone or they might have worked with DJI to get that drone to be modified. Uh, but yeah, flying at those kind of altitudes is a whole different ballgame. Um, I can see the temptation of wanting to have a drone there to be able to show that amazing surroundings uh, that you're in. So I totally understand that part. I would think it's a totally different ballgame to be flying a drone up there for sure. Whether it's the safest way to fly a drone, Probably not. Uh, I have no idea what the legalities are in terms of using a drone in that specific airspace. On the flip side, if you were to crash a drone down there, your chances of hitting a uh, human being are probably slim to zero anyway. So very cool drone footage. I haven't seen the documentary myself yet. I think the first episode is actually out, so I'm going to check it out for sure. And uh, yeah, if you want to see some amazing aerial footage of the Mount Everest, be sure to look into this. Yes, it is a very cool story. And in fact, it does bring up a, another nugget of news yeah. that we have as I'm kind of limited in how much time we have for this week's news show. Yeah, so of course in New York we've uh, we've been through periods of lockdown as well and a lot of public areas were, were basically closed and one of them was the 9-11 uh, memorial uh, next to the Freedom Tower. Those two big 
um, waterfall structures, basically, where the uh, the Twin Towers used to be. That, that location in itself, of course, is a very special place. It's very impressive. Those waterfalls are large. If you've ever been there, uh, you would know that yeah, when you walk up there, it's, it's, it's not like your average monument. I mean, it's a very uh, special place in that sense. Now, of course, you're not allowed to fly drones in New York City, uh, pretty much, period, anyway, because of a decade-old law that uh, prevents you from legally taking off and landing your drone or any other aircraft. But on top of that, uh, at the 9-11 memorial, there are different rules in place as well. And uh, you can't even ride a bike or a skateboard at that location, let alone fly a drone. However, during the coronavirus shutdown, one company called All Island Aerial was actually allowed under supervision to create aerial footage of the 9-11 memorial, basically to support the whole memorial and uh, basically get some attention to it. Kevin Coughlin and Jin Sub Lee were actually flying their drone and they they created some amazing aerial footage. At certain parts in the video, you see the drone hovering right over the actual uh, or one of those waterfall structures. I think it's amazing. If you haven't seen it yet, I would uh, encourage you to go check it out. You'll find the article on Drone Excel. The video is also on YouTube. If you've never been to 9-11 uh, Memorial, then this will be probably one of the most beautiful and most impressive ways to see that monument. It's, uh, it's really breathtaking. And it's amazing that they were able to do this in partnership, of course, with the state of New York, because this is not a place where you would normally just uh, launch any kind of drone, really. Yeah, I could not agree more, which brings us into our next story. Kaya, what came out and uh, what's got people excited? Let's start with the good stuff. Let's start with the, the drone itself. It's called the Anafi USA. Uh, it's designed in France. It's built right out of Boston, so in the United States, and it still contains parts from China. <laughs> Shocker. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What electronics product does not contain at least one part uh, that was made in China? But anyway, let's forget about that for a second. It's a very cool drone. It weighs about 500 grams. It has a wide angle lens and a tele lens that uh, are digitally combined, just like you would see on any smartphone nowadays. It allows you to get a very wide angle shot, but also zoom in. And in this case, you you can zoom in 32 times so you can be miles away from something and zoom in and still get a pretty decent shot it has awesome uh, stabilization it's also combined with a FLIR systems uh, thermal sensor so not only do you have your regular footage but you also get a thermal uh, view so for uh, let's say fire departments or first responders or the military a drone like this that's lightweight that's foldable that's easy to deploy easy to take with you but has these kind of capabilities where it's quiet it's lightweight it's small it has 30 times zoom it has uh, a thermal camera it starts to become really interesting now one of the main concerns that some government agencies have with Chinese-made drones, or more specifically DJI drones, is that the parts are made in China and they don't really trust whether any of that data might leave the drone and somehow end up at the Chinese government. Parrot has kind of turned this story around and is trying to use it to their advantage. So what they've done is they encrypt all the data on the SD card. So if let's say your drone unfortunately would crash and is lost somewhere, anybody finding that drone wouldn't be able to get any of the footage of the actual aircraft because it's all encrypted. The connection between the aircraft and the controller is highly secure as well. So Barrett has tried to make this the most secure drone specifically for use by the military and other government agencies. Now here's where the story gets interesting. Because 
Barrett knows that DJI is under fire from the US government. And what they've done in their marketing campaign is they've been pointing this out and saying, hey, well, do you guys trust Chinese made drones? Hey, do you guys trust drones that are made specifically by DJI? And I think if you're promoting a new product, especially if it's a very promising one with specs like what you would find on the Anafi USA, then there's no need to play off a competitor and, and kind of push them down in order to make yourself look better. You got an amazing product, showcase your product, show what it can do and stand on your own two feet. Um, in this case, when Parrot and specifically the, uh, the CEO of Parrot, Henry Sadu, he did an online webinar, a presentation of this new product. And I think the entire webinar lasted about 40 minutes. More than five minutes out of his entire presentation were basically focused on DJI and how you cannot trust DJI drones, but you can trust this new Paratron, uh, the Anafi USA. And at some point he even went as far as falsely accusing DJI of silently removing some parts of their software of a DJI Go app, implying that this is the uh, software used to fly drones, which it really isn't because one, it wasn't the Go app, it was the Mimo app that you use for the Osmo Pocket. And also it's the Go 4 app that you would use for any modern DJI drone and not the Go app. So there was there was some stuff in his, in his reasoning that doesn't quite add up. But even apart from that, I think the fact that as a CEO of a company, when you're presenting a new product, you want the attention of the public to be on the product. And I don't think there will be a need to make your product look better by bashing a competitor. And I'm not saying this because I'm a fan of DJI products. Let's say if this would have been uh, Skydio versus Hotel or Hotel versus Skydio, I would have had the exact same commentary on this. I think it's... Uh, I think it's, I don't know, it just leaves you kind of a, a foul taste in your mouth, I think, if you uh, if you watch that presentation. If you do want to watch the video, uh, I tweeted it out. Uh, it's about five minutes, and you can listen to him bashing uh, DJI. Going back to the drone itself, I think it's super impressive. It's very fast to deploy. It's very lightweight. It's very pocketable. It's also very capable. With the old Anafi, a lot of the people who reviewed that drone and flew that drone, including myself, the drone was very lightweight, felt very fragile. The Wi-Fi connection wasn't always as great, and the drone wasn't really able to handle any high wind situations. D um, DJI. <laughs> Barrett tried to counter that by making the body more rugged. So the drone is slightly bigger, but a lot stronger. You can see that already if you look at the, uh, the photos and you see how those arms are designed. Uh, it is capable of flying in much higher wind conditions. So they really took the Navi and, and tried to keep as much of the good parts, let's say the lightweight and easy to use, but also make it a lot stronger and uh, more rugged. So I think it's a very impressive product. It is going to sell uh, for 7,000 bucks. Uh, through some official Paris retailers here in the United States. It's not it's not focused on consumers. It's really focused on government agencies, the military, first responders, fire departments, police departments, those kind of organizations. So I also asked them, is there going to be a consumer version of this drone? And they said no. So we'll have to see. Maybe, maybe they come out with an AFI 2 at some point that would at least have that improved body shape. But we're not going to get 30 times zoom in combination with a thermal camera for a, uh, a consumer drone, I'm afraid. Yeah, so I think... The two main points are, I think the drone is really impressive. I would love to fly it and see it. I think it's a really capable drone. The thing that kind of left me with a foul taste is the fact that the CEO of Parrot was so focused on bashing DJI when there was no need to do so. And also he didn't do his homework because the facts that he presented uh, simply didn't add up. And I think that's, uh, that's not a smart move to do. Anyway, that's the uh, Parrot story. If you haven't seen the uh, the photos and videos, be sure to check them out. It's a, it's a cool new drone. Yeah, I think this is the drone that a lot of people are 
are replacing their 210s with because it seems to be about the same price point as a stripped down 210 without all the, the, the gimbals and cameras and whatnot. But the fact that reading your article, Haya, you can see 17 miles away with this little drone, that's pretty powerful. And I bet a lot of people are asking, you know, is this drone a phantom killer? What if this drone was available to the commercial market, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that this could be a drone that could be really viable in a commercial market, especially for inspections, especially for having a non, you know, uh, certain manufactured country made. And frankly, the fact that it offers a triple payload on this small airframe is actually kind of exciting because I think the Anafi is a little too light. I think it could do well from some weight. And I would love to see some more features from an Anafi. But if you added some simple things like, you know, again, an attitude mode to avoid flyaway, a better VTX, this could be the drone that could really prop up the American drone market and provide significant competition to the existing manufacturers out there. But once again, in order to be truly competitive with these other drones, you have to offer some of the similar features, but understand why they are important. And for attitude mode, well, if you're a significant pilot or a professional pilot, you know exactly why you need an attitude mode. But uh, anyway, Haya, that brings us to this next piece of news, which it looks like Skydio is stepping up to the plate. Uh, What are they doing? Skydio launched their drone late last year. Uh, people got super excited. A lot of people made their deposits and reservations. And their first batch, which I was lucky to be a part of, sold out, I think, in minutes. And then they had batch number two sell out quickly, batch number three sell out quickly. And before we knew it, we were reporting that anybody who was in batch three probably wouldn't see their drone until uh, Q3 of 2020, which is almost a year later. Now, you know, with high-tech consumer products like smartphones and drones as well, a year is like a decade. I mean, technology from a year ago is outdated pretty quickly. I've seen on social media a lot of people abandoning their reservations and canceling their Skydio 2 orders, unfortunately. Skydio, as a company, had to shut down because of coronavirus concerns. So people were working from home, but the production or the assembly here in the United States wasn't happening the way it was supposed to be happening because of the coronavirus pandemic. And the good news now is that uh, Skydio has been able to ramp back up. So they're back producing drones. Of course, there's a big gap in terms of time. They say that they're going to be able to catch up come September. Um, I don't know if that necessarily means that all the orders, so batch one, two and three will have been fulfilled by September. I mean, having production back up, but also shipping drones, of course, is then the next question. To kind of give a more positive spin on this, what they did do is they also improved the software. And some of the features of the Skydio 2 drone have been uh, quite dramatically improved. I haven't been able to fly the drone myself yet because of my whole situation with my leg, but I hope to do so soon. One of the things, for instance, that they improved is the tracking distance that you can uh, use with the Skydio 2 when you use the beacon. That used to be only 10 meters. Now that's been increased to 40 meters, which is really cool because let's say if you're snowboarding or you're riding a mountain bike, now you're able to have the drone positioned much further away from you, still track you, and then get your action as well as the background and the scenery into vision, which I think is is really nice. There's a whole range of other improvements. Um, I think it's too much to go through all of them here in detail on the show. Go to Drone Excel, check it out, or go to Skydio directly and check it out. 
If you're still in line waiting to get that drone, if you really want it, be sure to keep that spot on the flip side with all the other new products that have come out since then, like the DJI Mavic Air 2, but also the Auto Evo 2. Yeah, uh, I can totally understand why people would uh, abandon their order or their reservation and, and move on. I mean, I think Skydio came out with a amazing drone, but to have to wait almost a year to actually get your hands on the drone that you ordered, um, kind of dampens a lot of uh, people's uh, enthusiasm, I think, for any new product. So it's really unfortunate. I hope they, uh, they're they able to uh, to ramp up quickly and get those drones out the door. Couldn't agree more, Haya. Well, lots of news this week, for sure. Lots of news this week. And uh, excited to be kind of back in a rhythm with you. So want to say, first of all, thank you for sticking with the news show because uh, it's been a lot of fun. People getting a lot of information from it, and it seems to be a favorite. So before we go... Everyone, if you have been enjoying or liking the show, you've gotten some piece of valuable information out of it, do Haya and I a favor. It doesn't cost any money, but do a Haya and I a favor. Go to DroneXL.com, check out his page, read an article or two. If you're feeling really loving, really giving, leave him a review. Leave the show a review on YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, wherever you download the show. Yeah. Subscribe to the show on YouTube because it helps Haya and it helps myself. So if you're feeling uh, like you want to pay it forward, this is a great time to take the time to pay it forward. Thank you again, and thank you to everyone. That's going to do it for us today. You're watching another Ask Drone You news episode. From the Flying Dutchman and myself, that'll do it for us today. We believe that videos, images, words, and sounds have the absolute power to inform inspire and entertain we reject indecision confusion and vanity for they work against the community we are united under the virtues of safety and knowledge we are a training community of learners and teachers who encourage and energize each other to achieve greatness we are pilots videographers photographers freelancers business owners enthusiasts experts and apprentices we are creators we are the drone you